and welcome to the Fan Checkdown on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Matt Marchese, Donovan Bennett with you here. As we get you set for the Thursday nighter, it's actually a good one for a change. It's the Ravens. It's the Bengals. And maybe they'll hit the over. I don't know. I'm not super optimistic. I'm trying not to get optimistic about this, but um, we will get into it a little bit later. Donovan, you are back. And yesterday we had some news. Uh, Deshaun Watson's out for the year. So I will let you have a kick at this can as we get set for an AFC North divisional game tonight and both teams looking at, well, maybe we don't have to worry about the Browns anymore. The Deshaun Watson contract is the worst contract in the history of the NFL. <laughs> Might be the worst contract in the history of sports. And that is in a league at a time when Russell Wilson and his contract exist. Russell Wilson is, is playing way better than we thought above average football. <laughs> like yeah. if you drafted Russell Wilson in fantasy, you've gotten about the same amount of production as you've got out of Patrick Mahomes. To yeah. put it in perspective, you have not got that from Deshaun Watson. One, because he hasn't been available to play. And when he has played, he hasn't played well. In my younger years, when I worked at the Score Television Network and a bunch of us goofs who, who now work at Sportsnet all work together at the Score Television Network, we would go out after work frequently. And associate producer Sheldon Alexander would have a saying. Shout out Sheldon Alexander. Shout out Sheldon Alexander. And he would say, when you're thirsty, you'll drink dirty water. And that meant to say, like, how about we make smart decisions no matter what we feel like or no matter the scenario. And I look at this to Sean Watson and I say, man, they were desperate. They, they were thirsty and they were willing to drink dirty water. And that's not good for you, essentially. It might feel good in the moment. Might feel good in the short term. Given the off-the-field issues that he had, it didn't feel good in the moment because what it did was it meant that people were picketing outside of their building for weeks on end. But he has essentially played 12 games for the Cleveland Browns. He's been paid $90 million to do so. Oh. That, given the fact that the first year of his money wasn't part of the big contract because they were trying to keep that low because he was suspended. This is his contract moving forward. 2024, $63.9 million, dead cap of $209 million. 2025, $63.9 million, dead cap of $136.9 million. Are you starting to see a trend? 2026, $63.9 million. Dead cap of $72.9 million. So maybe by 2026, when there's only a $9 million difference between the dead cap you'd have to eat because of the signing bonus he was given, which gets spread across the life of the contract, and the $63.9 million in hard money you would have to give him, maybe, maybe then you might entertain cutting him. But you can't do anything with the player right now. And really, it doesn't matter because he can't play. It, it, his injury history is as such. He's missed three games and now will miss the rest of the season because of a shoulder. 2019, he missed a game because of a back. 2017, he tore an ACL, missed nine games. Remember when he was in Clemson, he tore an ACL in 2014. You have an aging player who needs his athleticism and 
in, a, in order to allow him to create and produce. He's getting hurt, which is taking away from the athleticism, allowing him to produce. And you owe him more money over time. None of this is good. And quite frankly, the rest of the roster is so good, you're not going to be in a position to draft another relevant quarterback, even if you wanted to. So I don't really know what the Browns do. Oh, man, maybe if they had a backup that in a tough situation. <laughs> I was waiting for this. It's really good. You know, he can create real smart you know, his leader. Guys love him. Oh, wasn't, wasn't Josh Dobbs? On the, he was in the on, building. He was he on the Browns in, in training camp, right? Because they cut him because they wanted to give DTR more time because he killed the preseason. Well, if we've learned anything, we've learned that preseason is a liar. And now I'm not really sure where Kevin Stefanski and the Browns go after this. I'm not even sure we can evaluate Kevin Stefanski as a coach because of the way they've mismanaged Deshaun Watson as a quarterback, the offense, the play calling, and his injury which we've talked about it. We, we've had to essentially decipher Morse code to understand if he was healthy or not healthy, was going to play and not going to play. It's a mess, but it's the Browns. We've come to expect it from the Browns. And you talking, you know, you talking about drinking dirty water. It doesn't go past me as a guy who used to drink beers out of a shoe. So, I mean... <laughs> I know exactly. I I know exactly what you're talking about. There. You did it for the gram, um, though. It was different. You did it for the likes, for oh, the impressions. No, 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 no. I did it before. This was high school, Donovan. This was before the gram. This was before any of that. This was out of sheer idiocy, is what it was out of. Anyway, besides me drinking out of a shoe, um, we have a couple more things that I want to get to before we get to uh, Jeff Zrebeck from the Athletic, who covers the Ravens. We'll get to him in uh, about nine minutes or so. Yesterday, I chatted a little bit about the Mac Jones situation and how, you know, a reporter said he's lost the room. Now, it's one thing I feel like for a reporter to say that Mac Jones has lost the room. It's another thing entirely when we hear that Rob Gronkowski says that Mac Jones has lost the room and that he should ask for his outright release. Like, that's not insignificant when we're talking about the future of Mac Jones here because you know that Rob Gronkowski knows guys in that locker room and he knows players in and around the situation, knows people in that front office, on that coaching staff, all of it. And the Mac Jones thing is so fascinating to me because he was supposed to be the guy post-Tom Brady. And we all knew he wasn't going to be that guy. That was pretty obvious. But now he looks like a nobody, a first-round pick who another one that does not pan out for the New England Patriots. And I said this yesterday. He looks like every time something goes wrong, he looks like a petulant child, and he's always looking for someone else to blame. And if you're a quarterback, that is exactly the wrong attitude to have. It's one thing. I mean, maybe it's not the wrong attitude to have. It's not a great one. But if you're you're a great quarterback, you could get away with stuff like that. Like Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady could get away with stuff like that. Mac Jones can't get away with stuff like that because we all know that Mac Jones is one of, if not the biggest parts of the problem. We could talk about the wide receivers he doesn't have or the tight ends he doesn't have or the offensive line that he doesn't have, but he's also making a lot of boneheaded mistakes. 
And I said it yesterday. I don't see a situation where outside of injury, you can go back to Mac Jones as the quarterback of this team the rest of the year, especially knowing that you're two and eight. So in 2007, my first media, I guess, assignment, an intern at the score, working on CFL snap. I'm still in university, going, I'm helping out CFL draft. And that was the year that Andy Fantuz, a teammate of mine at Western, came out. Barely could get 135 off his chest. Was terrible in all of the testing numbers, but killed the one-on-ones. And everyone's, oh, man, it doesn't know if he can translate. It's like, man, put the film on. He could play. Goes on, becomes the rookie of the year, and, and helps the Riders win a great cup. Next year, the very same draft. Tall, lanky receiver that can't lift. Chris Bauman comes out of Regina. And everyone's like, ooh, that's, that's the next fan twos. And I was like, uh, no, it's not. Just because you did it once before with someone who couldn't test doesn't mean you should just go and get guys who can't test. Actually, his teammate, Chris Getzlaff, brother of Ryan Getzlaff, that's the guy that you want. That's the guy from that team who you need. Chris Getzlaff ha- goes on to have a great career. Bauman isn't. Why do I bring that up? Because I feel like... The Patriots just went into the draft. They're like, ah, man, we got this quarterback that's got all these intangibles, fiery guy, not that strong, can't run, doesn't have a strong arm, and he's the greatest quarterback of all time. He's a Hall of Famer. Let's just go get us another version of Tom Brady. Like, ah, no, how about you go and get someone who has the tools to do the job and not hope and wish on a prayer that this player who doesn't have the physical traits to do the job will just become a facsimile of the other person that you did. You got... Lucky, quite frankly, that Tom Brady, who was drafted that late for a reason because he wasn't even a full-time starter at Michigan before Michigan was stealing people's signs. You got lucky that Tom Brady became the player that he is. You don't need to add a degree of difficulty. Mac Jones physically cannot be an A1 dominant quarterback. Now, can he be a game manager? Sure. But then you have to have all the pieces around him, which you don't, which you never really had. And so take a wild guess how Mac Jones is doing on completions over 20 yards this year. Well, he's got to be, if he's not last, he's, I, I, you know what? Here's what I'll say. I think he's below 32nd in the league, he's, which is really saying something. He's had 30 attempts, which is not a lot in, in 10 games. How many of those do you think he's completed? Of the 30? Yes. Uh, three? You, you have even less respect for him. He's, he's completed six. Over 20 yards. <laughs> he does not have the arm talent to, to lead the team. I think he's been put up in, in a terrible scenario to be, you know, not the next because they had Cam Newton after Tom Brady, but the QB of the future for team that roster didn't really compliment the quarterback that didn't have an experienced play caller last year. You're doing offensive coordinator by fire and by trial. And so now the Patriots are in a scenario where as of today, they got the fourth pick in the draft and it could get worse. They're two and eight right now. They're on a three game losing streak. It could get uglier because some of the teams who have struggled actually you know things might look up the cardinals might get a couple wins now that kyler is playing you can't the, the bears justin fields justin back. fields comes back with the bears it, it, the, you can't 
go into another season and not address the quarterback if they're going to be picking at the top of the draft. So then at this point, well, what do you do with Mac Jones? He's going to be a, a first-round pick that's a backup within his own organization. I think Gronk is right. He needs to get out of there. He needs to have a new lease on life because every press conference is just more and more depressing to watch, whether it's Bill Belichick not giving you one piece of sound that lets you think he has any confidence in his quarterback, Mac Jones not finishing games, and the the fact that Mac Jones, he sounds more lost than Justin Fields sounded talking to the media earlier in the year. It's a bad scenario, and I don't, I don't know where the Patriots go from here outside of just taking the player off the field for their own safety. Hey, Bill, uh, how do you feel about Mac Jones as a future at quarterback? Um, uh, we're uh, we're going to evaluate everything, and uh, we'll figure it out uh, after the bye. Hey, Bill, um, what's the issue with Mac Jones? Uh, we're gonna we're gonna evaluate everything, and we'll uh, we'll figure it out after the bye. That's that's basically what we've gotten out of Bill Belichick. Okay, on to another coaching. Let's call it issue. Frank Reich gave up the play calling duties to Thomas Brown earlier this season. And now he's like, nah, I want those back. This screams of dysfunction. It screams of uh, miscommunication and lack of faith. And basically what it screams is it's a tire fire in Carolina right now. Like if you, you know, there was a, you know, they win the game and, and, Frank Wright gives the game ball to Thomas Brown against the Texans. And now he's taken, he's taken the play calling duties away. Like I don't think Frank Reich is getting fired here, but this is a really bad look for an organization that is going nowhere fast. It seems like it screams of desperation to me and to take you behind the scenes in terms of Thomas Brown, getting the play calling assignment in the first place. Frank Reich has talked about the fact that he has a great deal of respect and admiration for Andy Reid, for what Andy Reid did for him in his coaching career. Andy Reid, although a brilliant play caller, will build out periods of games, drives, quarters, and let Frank Reich call play so that he could showcase himself to other potential head coaching opportunities and so that he could, quite frankly, get the experience. Frank Reich's trying to do the same thing for his staff. Very noble in isolation. Here's the problem. It's only a benefit for you to have the play calling duties when the offense is good and when the plays are run efficiently and well and when you're scoring lots of points. So Frank Reich, in his haste to want to do that for someone else, actually put them in a bad position because, one, the offense is not very good. Two, the quarterback is young and can't process a lot. And three, hey, Frank, we brought you here for the offense and for the quarterback. That's part of the reason why we signed up for you. So if if you're not calling the offense and making it good and helping the quarterback, why, why do we need you? What are you doing? You're, 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 you don't have any input on the defense. Your games are not close enough for you to manage them. So what is your ultimate value? And I think that's why he took it back. Because at this point, it's desperation and the conversation is, listen, Thomas, I understand I gave you this toy to play with, but 
if this goes wrong, we're both going to be fired. And yeah. I, I don't know. Remember those comments from Frank Reich about the level of involvement in ownership in the meetings and walking them through and explaining things? I, I don't know if it's true that he might not be fired. They owed Matt Rule more money than God, and they got him out of there. So I, I, I just don't know with David Tepper and this organization if anything is off the table. And I, and I think that's why Frank Reich was desperate just to save everybody on the staff and, and take the play calling back, uh, whether he was told to or, or whether he needs to make sure things go right so that they get a second year at this. Yeah, it's going to be a really, really interesting scenario to follow. Uh, joining us on the line now, Jeff Zrebeck from The Athletic covers the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, Jeff, thanks so much for doing this today. Listen, we, we've we talked a lot on this show about the Ravens being maybe the most balanced team in the AFC. And then the Browns game happens and you're like, okay, this is another one of those that, you know, is very much in the hands of the Ravens, much like the Steelers and Colts games. I can't imagine that this loss was taken very well by the Ravens fan base. No, just because it's, you know, this is, this is not a new thing. It's becoming a trait um, and a characteristic of this team, you know, dating back a couple of years now, you know, they've uh, seven of their last 10 losses. They've had double digit leads in. Um, then there's been a couple other games in there that, you know, maybe they didn't have a double-digit lead like the Colts game, but they had every chance to win the game late, and they weren't able to do it. Um, you know, they, it's just they've just not been clutch. I mean, you, you could you could pinpoint a bunch of could pin it on Harbaugh and, and say you know all the stuff he preaches about you know grit and toughness, and they're not showing it in crunch time. You could go to Lamar Jackson, who has eight fourth-quarter turnovers since the start of last year. And then you could go to a defense, which is very good, but has not been good in fourth quarters the second year in a row. So, yeah, it's it's definitely an issue. It, it, it's frustrating to fans because they can look so good uh, for three quarters, uh, dominant, in, in fact, at times. And then in the fourth quarter, it, you know, the team just suddenly looks unrecognizable again. So, you know, it's something – that they're going to have to figure out. It's been going on for a couple of years now, and, and they haven't had a whole lot of answers. The troubling part to me is this team is built in a way that that should be their strength. Great run game, a defense that can get after the passer, both things that are benefits when you have a lead, and a coach who wasn't an offensive coordinator or defense coordinator. He's a special teams guy by trade and those are the coaches who really understand game management and situations how did it get to this point where the only two other teams in NFL history who have led for more time after 10 games were both teams that were undefeated after 10 games yet the Ravens have found themselves you know losing a couple games they had in control yeah, I mean, I, I think it's something they're trying to figure out. I don't know if it's in their heads. Um, you know, I, I do think uh, one of the one of the things, uh, you know, if we're going to go on a, an offensive basis here, um, you know, I think Lamar Jackson tries a little too hard. I, I think when he gets down in the fourth quarter, he, he wants to be the difference between closing the game, he makes something happen, and he's made some mistakes. I mean, you know, I think since the start of last year, he has a – 
a turnover on every 23 fourth quarter plays. And that's just, I mean, that's just only Justin Fields among current quarterbacks has been worse. You know, that's the time you need to protect the ball. And he hasn't. Um, and, uh, you know, then you go, uh, you know, you go on a defense perspective. And, yes, they, they do lead the league in sacks. But what they don't have and what they haven't had since, you know, Terrell Suggs was here was an elite pass rusher who can close the game. And, and we see it time and time again. It's hard to get off the field in the NFL down the stretch of games. Um, you know, this is an offensive league. The rules are catered to that. These offenses are really good. In so many instances, whoever has the ball last is able to get down the field and even set up for field goal or win. And you need that guy who's going to get you off the field. And they really haven't had that guy defensively. They, you know, they, they kind of spread around, get to the quarterback with, with different sort of schemes and, 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 you know, different kind of blitzes. But they don't have a guy who's just going to take upon a game on his shoulders on the defensive end and say, I'm, you know, I'm going to make the difference play, whether it's a strip sack or, uh, you know, an interception or, you know, just do something. And you look at the other teams in their division with Miles Garrett and, and, and T.J. Watt, and we see that all the time. One of those guys make a big play late in a game. That's the difference between their team getting off the field and preserving a win. So I think you look at those two things, and, and, and those are the two things that jump to mind now when you're trying to assess why this keeps happening. Jeff Zrebeck covers the Baltimore Ravens for The Athletic, joining Matt Marchese and Donovan Bennett here on the Fan Checkdown. So the big... I want to say the big offseason addition was not on the field. It was offensive coordinator Todd Munkin comes in from the University of Georgia where he had incredible success with the Bulldogs. What has been the biggest change for you in this offensive scheme that has been the most beneficial for this group? Because there's a, you know, we could talk about how, you know, the, the run game has always kind of been good for the Ravens. This is a historical reference, but we see Lamar Jackson maybe take a, a few more chances downfield. Is that because he has a little bit more trust in his receivers or do you put a lot of that on Todd Munkin's scheme? Yeah, I think it's a combination. I think definitely scheme has something to do with it. Uh, Greg Roman did some amazing things with their run game. And, uh, you know, he's, you know, if not the most creative run game designer out there, he's, he's in the conversation. Um, but, but, you know, it wasn't exactly a secret that his past schemes and those concepts, uh, you know, weren't exactly, um, you know, weren't exactly known as being creative or in depth and all that. They were pretty vanilla. So I think that's the first part. I think they're doing more, um, you know, and, and then I think the other part is the, you know, the receiver group has been upgraded in a big way. Um, you know, these guys get open. If you look at all the metrics, They've gotten open pretty much all year. Um, you know, Zay Flowers has is, is been one of the probably, you know, the metric show has been the best receiver against man coverage in terms of getting separation. He's been as advertised. Odell Beckham isn't that guy that he was several years ago, but he's still more than capable of getting open and making plays. And, and Rashad Bateman's healthy again, and he's getting open. So I think the combination of those things, just uh, a bigger effort made to challenge teams down the field, um, not to become so run heavy and just to be a little more balanced offensively has really been kind of the, the monkey uh, calling card and what he's really brought to the offense. I mean, there really hasn't been a team that's consistently stopped them, but they've done their share of stopping themselves. So uh, they've looked good offensively, except the times where they start turning the ball over. So that's the thing they need to get fixed now. 
Well, a team they haven't had issues with offensively, especially in close games, has been the Cincinnati Bengals. Lamar Jackson 7-1 versus the Bengals. The last two wins by combined five points. And when you look at the Bengals' defense and Lou and Arumo, they've really stymied many great quarterbacks, most famously Patrick Mahomes. What specifically about that team, that defense, has been so successful for Lamar and company? Yeah, I think, you know, he's really run the ball a lot against them. Um, you, I was looking at it the other day, and, you know, he's, his legs have been a, a huge weapon uh, against the Bengals' defense in particular. And I, and I think, you know, this Bengals team has not stopped the run very well. Um, you know, they've allowed a ton of big plays, and, and, you know, the Ravens connected on a few in the first meeting. So I just think the combination of that, you know, Lamar's legs and the way the Ravens run the football uh, along with their ability sort of to, to get some explosive plays, whether it's the run game in the run game or the pass game ha- has helped them. And, you know, I think that's going to be interesting tonight because, you know, there was that one year, two years ago where, you know, Burrow just took, a, took them apart and, you know, it was kind of like, you know, the Ravens now have a Joe Burrow problem, but um, you know, they haven't always beaten them in the last couple of years, but, uh, since Mike McDonald became the Ravens' defensive coordinator, they've been much better against Burrow, um, keeping him from having big days. So um, the explosive play aspect of that will be really interesting. Can they stop Burrow, and can the, Ra- the Bengals stop L- Lamar Jackson from kind of creating big plays either with his arms or his legs? It seemed like a couple weeks ago the question was going to be, do the Ravens have an Odell Beckham Jr. problem, both in production but also the fact that he wasn't necessarily happy with his role in the offense. All of a sudden, two games, six receptions, 96 yards, two TDs, and he's dancing in the end zone. Is that a Band-Aid or is that a solution? I think probably a Band-Aid. I think, look, we all knew that there was going to be times this year where Odell wasn't exactly going to be happy with his his you know, the amount of times he was touching the ball, his role on the offense, um, you know, everybody knows his personality, but, um, you know, he's been good. I, I think, um, you know, first of all, the I, people will look at the 15 million and assume the Ravens signed him because they expected 15 million worth of production. But a lot of that was getting Lamar Jackson's attention and getting Lamar Jackson back in the building and back to the negotiating table. So even before Odell Beckham played a game for the Ravens, uh, I think you could chalk up that signing as a pretty close to a success because it got the Ravens, uh, you know, back, uh, back on the tape to the table with Lamar Jackson and that contract extension. But no, overall, I think the Ravens in general have kind of had a hard time consistently getting all their guys involved, um, you know, but that's been a good problem to have considering in recent years, they haven't had enough guys that have been open and deserve to get the ball this year. They do. Um, and, and, you know, and I think he signed Beckham for what he can do in big moments. You know, that guy loves the stage, um, you know, in a key game or, or in the red zone late in the game, uh, he's capable of making a play. And, yeah, he, he's caught two touchdowns the last two weeks. He only was targeted once. He, he's kind of bad last week or twice he was targeted and he had the one catch. But Allen threw his um, 
you know, I think they're finding ways to get him involved, uh, you know, and, and seeing what he does best. But I think that's going to kind of be a week-to-week thing. There's going to be some weeks where he's not involved at all, and, and you wait to see if the helmet throw is going to come and all that. And then there are going to be weeks where he probably gets six or seven targets. But uh, they need him there when it counts. They need him there in the fourth quarter. They need him there down there in the stretch of the season when they're trying to win some big games uh, in some big moments. And he, and he could help out in that area. Uh, Jeff, I have to ask you about this one player um, for multiple reasons. One, because I know a lot of people that listen to this show play fantasy football and they they uh, await the the response on this one. Keaton Mitchell, uh, he showed a lot of burst in his very few touches that he's had at the NFL level, taking a couple to the house. Uh, John Harbaugh talked about wanting to get him involved in the offense a little bit more. Like, what kind of a workload do you see from him behind Gus Edwards? Because it feels like he's at least talent-wise ahead of uh, a guy like Justice Hill, although Justice Hill does some things that, you know, maybe Keaton Mitchell doesn't. Um, Can we see a lot of Keaton Mitchell between the 20s tonight, especially on the short week where, you know, the other guys have maybe had a little bit more of a workload leading up to tonight? Yeah, yeah, I think that's a great question. And, uh, you know, you may see him as the return man, too, with uh, Devin Duvernay getting a hamstring injury in practice the other day. Um, So, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if if Duvernay can't post. It wouldn't surprise me if Mitchell's returning kicks tonight, too. But, you know, usually how it works is, you know, when something's a big question, why aren't you using that guy and and what's going on and why did Keaton Mitchell only get one touch uh, in the second half of the Browns game when he looked so good in the first half? Usually you see it swing the other way. So I think you can expect to see a lot of Keaton Mitchell um, tonight. We'll see how the game goes. You know, we'll see what type of game it is. And, and uh, But last week, I mean, you saw it early. I mean, they got him, on the, they got him the ball in a handoff. They got him, involved, got him the ball in the reverse. They got him the ball in the screen pass. They threw a wheel route to him that should have been a touchdown if he had hung on. And then all of a sudden it just disappeared. So, there was an effort early, and then they got away from it. I think you'll see a much more consistent, maintained effort to find ways to get him some touches. Um, you know, but a lot of it's on on him too. You know, guys, he, he's still kind of he's an undrafted rookie who missed a good amount of time with shoulder and hamstring injuries. I think they're still trying to figure out what he can do, how much they can trust him. He's still a smaller guy uh, with some durability questions, some questions on how he can how how much success he'll have running in between the tackles. So I think they're still trying to figure all that out. How much of a workload uh, can he shoulder? Um, but I, I think that'll be put to the test today. I, I don't I don't know that I expect him to dominate the backfield touches. Um, you know, Gus Edwards is still the, the number one guy there, but I think you'll see him a lot more involved than we saw, than we've seen in recent weeks. All this leads me to believe is that J.K. Dobbins would have had a career year had he not tore his Achilles. Poor guy. Uh, this was, would have been a fun offense, an even more fun offense with J.K. Dobbins. Uh, Jeff, this has been great. Thanks so much for taking some time for us today. Really appreciate it. Great stuff. And uh, look forward to chatting with you down the road. Take care, guys. Enjoy the game. Um, I appreciate you having me on. There he goes. Jeff Zrebeck from The Athletic covers the Baltimore Ravens. We're going to hit a break, but when we come back, we're going to look at the other side of this matchup. James Rapine, Sports Illustrated, and the Locked on Bengals podcast will join Donovan and myself when we come back. Lots of questions with the Bengals coming off that loss to the Texans and uh, kind of just par for the course for what's been a real kind of roller coaster season for the Bengals, albeit uh, looked good for a while there. And then this last game going, mm, I'm not sure. 
Uh, we'll get the Bengals side of things when we come back. This is the Fan Checkdown on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL. The J.D. Bunkus Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Fan Checkdown on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Matt Marchese, Donovan Bennett with you here. As we get you set... For the Thursday nighter, it is the Ravens hosting the Cincinnati Bengals. We just talked to Jeff Zrebeck from The Athletic about the Ravens. And moving on to the other side of the field, James Rapine from Sports Illustrated and the Locked On Bengals podcast joins us now. James, how are you today? I'm doing well. How are you? We're good. We're good. And, you know, it's it's been a bit of a roller coaster here for the Bengals. You know, the, the start of the season with the Joe Burrow calf injury and the defense is really, you know, kind of carrying the, the mail for the team. And then they reel off four straight wins, some impressive wins, especially against the Niners and the Bills. Then they lose a tight one to the Texans. What has this season been like for Bengals fans? Oh, it's, it's certainly been a roller coaster because you're right. It was... Uh... It, they entered with huge expectations, probably the the most expectations they've had going into a season, maybe ever, certainly in my lifetime, probably dating back to that 1988 Super Bowl run. And to, to start the season the way they did, for obvious reasons, Joe Burrow being dinged up, and then to flash their potential and win four straight and go to San Francisco and really control that game from start to finish, beat Buffalo, and Buffalo is obviously going through their issues, but to, still to beat one of these AFC contending teams, I think a lot of people expected them uh, to right the ship and be six and three right now going into tonight's game. And instead, CJ Stroud and the Texans, they were just really good the other day, outplayed the Bengals. And, and so now it's, it's a, a tough matchup, short week, shorthanded against a division rival and, and one that I think they need to win if they're going to win the AFC North for a third straight season. Like Bengals fans have had to look at their actives and inactives throughout uh, the week and the year. It looks like Trey Hendrickson will be expected to play with the hyperextended knee. T. Higgins has a hamstring. Sam Hubbard has an ankle. Looks like they'll be out. What other injury news might really change what they do, and how will they compensate for the injuries they've accumulated throughout the year? Yeah, the, I mean, the T. Higgins injury is the biggest one uh, just because they're so reliant on three wide receivers. And they're as wide receiver reliant, I would say, as any team in the NFL. Uh, so week to week, the T. Higgins injury is the biggest one. But I think tonight, man, they would love to have Sam Hubbard because he's so good at setting the edge and run defense. And obviously we know he's been a quality pass rusher throughout his career. But as a run defender, run stopper, against the number one rushing offense in the NFL. And considering they gave up 188 yards to one of the worst rushing offenses in the NFL just four days ago without Hubbard, I think you would really love to have him out there. And they're not going to have him out there. You're right, Trey Hendrickson is going to play. I think he's going to be limited, might be on a snap count. And so we'll see. So they're going to be relying on guys like Cam Sample, who, who has played well in, at times throughout the year and is, is a good role player. But you're asking more out of him and him to step up. And then you need first round pick miles Murphy to do the same at defensive end. And Joseph Osai, who was really coming on towards the end of last year and, and made some plays 
in that AFC Championship game. Everybody remembers the penalty at the end on Patrick Mahomes, but he made some plays to keep him in that game. He hasn't really made much of an impact yet this season, so we'll see if he can do that tonight. So those are the guys that will kind of slide in and try to help replace Sam Hubbard and maybe a limited Trey Hendrickson. And then for T. Higgins, you can't replace it. That's the unfortunate part is what he does one-on-one and in contested catch situations. I'm not sure there's anyone else on this roster outside of Jamar Chase that gives you that. And what hurts even more is you are not ha- you don't have rookie Andre Yosevash tonight, who's uh, an elite athlete, was coming into his own, had two red zone touchdowns in back-to-back weeks and uh, going into last game. And so I think that Joe Burrow trusts him, believes in him, and the fact that he's not out there this week, I, I think that uh, wide receiver-wise, I just mentioned how reliant they are on wide receivers. They're going to be shorthanded. And that, to me, means Jamar Chase. It could be the Jamar Chase show tonight. I would expect him to see the ball early and often. You mentioned that run defense. And for defense that's been around the middle of the pack in terms of defensive efficiency, on the run side, things have been much more bleak. In the 30s, essentially, in any run metric that matters, why has this group struggled to stop the run so consistently? Tackling. It, it is, it's literally that simple. They, they have missed tackles. And early on in the season, when Burrow was nicked up, that was one of their, their big flaws on defense. Is it, They really struggle to tackle in space. And when you have those one-on-one situations, you can't get beat. And you have to find a way to bring the guy down or at least hold him until someone else can get there. And when they kind of righted the ship during that four-game winning streak, they were tackling better. And they did not tackle well against Houston. Obviously, tonight, you're dealing with a bunch of guys that are tough to, to bring down in space. That starts with Lamar Jackson. Zay Flowers, though, after the catch, we know what he brings. Uh, it, the past couple of uh, weeks, Keaton Mitchell ha- has given them a new dynamic out of that backfield for the Ravens. So there are plenty of guys that are tough to tackle, and I, I think it starts there. It's really simple, but it's something the Bengals have struggled when they've given up long gains on, on the ground and given up big plays. James Rapine, Sports Illustrated, and the Locked On Bengals podcast joining Matt Marchese and Donovan Bennett here on the Fan Checkdown. Uh, I wanted to touch on T. Higgins here. So, as you mentioned, uh, out again this week, and he's a guy, like, long-term, I wonder how he fits into the Bengals' plans because we know he's going to be looking for an extension. Teams called around the trade deadline. The Bengals, historically, as we know, have been kind of a cheap organization, let's face it, outside of the Joe Burrow extension. Um, With Jamar Chase going to need an extension eventually, how do you think they view T. Higgins as an extension candidate? Because there is a chance that he, you know, he believes, and I think we all do believe, that he could be a number one receiver somewhere else. Um, Might he price himself out of Cincinnati? I think they want to pay him and they're hoping to. And it's going to be a matter of what is he looking for? Is he looking for, to be a top 10 paid receiver or is he looking to, to reset the market? And I, I don't know, especially with the injuries and stuff this year, if he'll be able to do that. But I'm sure that's what his agent, David Mulligetta, is, is hoping to do for his client. And so that's that's the dilemma. I don't know the the, the asking price or the 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 bottom line for their camp because I, I know that the Bengals want to keep T around. And I mentioned how wide receiver centric, that's kind of the theme, I guess, of today and that they are as an offense. And so if they lose T, well, you're going to have to replace T with someone that isn't on the roster and probably use a premium draft pick 
on someone, and then you got to get that guy right. And they got it right with T. Higgins when they took him 33rd overall in 2020. So I think he's a franchise tag candidate if they can't get something done this offseason. That franchise tag is big, big money, though, and it's a one-year cap hit. And not to get too much into the weeds there, but that's tough to swallow as well for one year of a player. So I, I do wonder if the tag and trade, that's not something the Bengals have historically done, but maybe they go that route or look to go that route to get something back for him. But uh, yeah, it's an interesting dilemma. I think in an ideal world, they would keep him and they would find a way to spend say 50 plus million dollars a year on their two wide receivers, their two key cogs, but there's certainly a scenario where T Higgins isn't a Bengal next season. Uh, On, on Joe Burrow, you know, the calf injury was clearly a problem even after he was deemed healthy. I think we all saw that he just wasn't right. And now he's back to playing at the level and we're going, yeah, yeah, we were right. The calf injury was definitely a problem in year four for Joe Burrow. What has been the biggest progression in his game that has kind of taken his game to this level now? I think he's gotten better at all of his superpowers. His superpowers are reading defenses and, and understanding what, defenses are trying to do to him and, and seeing what they do. And he's done a, a great job of, of getting even better at that. And so he still leans on that. But then the, the other things that I think have improved, his arm strength has gotten better, which is hard to do, but he's found ways to tweak it and, and to get stronger, to, to be um, probably as strong as we've seen him. And athletically, he's always been a quality athlete, but I think that's gotten better too. And we've seen that over the past couple of weeks with how he's moved around and so I, I think it's it, it comes down to how robotic he is from a a work ethic standpoint. I think he works as hard as anyone and, and, and is really driven. But it, it's uh, it, it's that natural progression that you expect out of these elite quarterbacks. And, and he's certainly better than he was in, in 2021. He was better than he was as a rookie, despite coming off of that knee injury. I thought he was better last season than he was even when he, he led them to the Super Bowl. And then this year... It's been tougher to judge, I think, because of the calf and because of how he was limited. But the thing that really impressed me when he wasn't able to move around and not do some of the things that he normally could as a quarterback, he wasn't turning the ball over much. And and that's really, really tough to do. He wasn't forcing it. He wasn't killing the team that way, even when he couldn't move. For example, on Monday Night Football against the Rams, when a lot of people were shocked he was playing. So I think he's done a good job there. And at the same time, I'm confident in saying we haven't seen the ceiling of his game and uh, he may need to to start showing that ceiling tonight because it's an uphill battle, I think for the Bengals in Baltimore and he's going to have to play really, really well if they're going to win. Well, there are many Canadian fans hoping he plays well as the country fell in love with him as he walked into stadium rocking a CFL Jersey, the Alouettes Jersey, his dad wore the Alouettes happened to be playing that day and time and they got a huge upset win. So maybe he's the, Good luck charm, and he can come up for a great cup during his mini buy since he's playing on Thursday. But he's played well in prime time. The team as a whole has six straight wins in prime time. How much is that the player in him really loving the big platform and the big lights? I think that's certainly part of it. Is, is he knows when it's time to step up. And, and the interesting thing, as you mentioned, the six straight, he, he's 0 and 4 in primetime road games. And, uh, and and so the, and the Bengals haven't won a primetime road game since 2013, I believe it is. So there's a streak that needs to be snapped. 
he's broken a lot of those Bengals streets, those ugly Bengals stats during his his four years, whether it's the playoff drought or different Bengals records. So, yeah, I think he embraces the like these type of opportunities, and that's why it, it's it's a long shot in a lot of ways when you look at it logically on paper. You're on the road. You're going up against a really good Ravens team that has consistently been better than you this year. And yet I give the Bengals a good shot because of who they have at quarterback and the way he responds and, and the the way he's able to come up in big moments and play his best ball. So it's, uh, it, it is certainly a different feeling here in Cincinnati to have a guy like that. Uh, certainly someone that who's in his thirties, like me, the Bengals have never had a guy like this in my lifetime. And uh, he, he's shown it, even though he's only in year four. Yeah, he's certainly been great. He's a lot of fun to watch, and I don't anticipate that that's going to change tonight. James, thanks so much for taking some time for us today. Really appreciate it. Enjoyed the chat, and uh, look forward to talking with you down the road. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. There he goes. James Rapine, Sports Illustrated, and the Locked on Bengals podcast. You know, I'd have to imagine that these teams are both going into this game tonight and saying, like, we've got a real opportunity here because of what happened in Cleveland, and there's still questions around the Steelers, whatever, but we thought at the beginning of the year, these were going to be the two top dogs in this division. The Bengals currently sitting at the bottom, but you'd have to imagine that they look at Cleveland and go, well, maybe that's one less team that we got to worry about. And the Browns are playing the Steelers this week. I don't think it's a stretch to say the winner of this game is going to win the division and the loser of this game is going to miss the playoffs. I think... It is that extreme. It is that binary because of the schedule that you'd have to run through if you drop this, but also because we don't believe that the Browns are a real player to win the division. I don't think I ever believed that they were. I thought they were just good enough to make it muddy and messy for everybody else, but without Deshaun Watson, I certainly don't believe that's the case. Although, quite frankly, they played better without Deshaun Watson, so I... I still don't even know how much that matters. But at some point, the equilibrium has to come for the Steelers. You can't continue to be outgained every week, but yet outscore your opponent. So I expect the Steelers to come back down to earth somewhat. So I think this division is up for the taking, and a big, big step would be getting a win tonight and either equaling out the, the tiebreaker or having a tiebreaker over your in-division opponent outright? Yeah, it, it's, I mean, they're two talented football teams here. There's no question. And the way that the AFC is kind of shaken out, I think I, I think we all looked at it and said, well, there's a there's a real potential for three teams from the North to get in. The thing was, is I don't think anybody had the Bengals at this point in the season at the bottom of the standings, but I do agree. Like, I, I think both of these teams get to the playoffs. Um, you know, you and I had talked about our, our division previews. You know, I had the Ravens, you had the Bengals. I mean, it's going to be really interesting because both, and these teams are so, they're so good, but they're so different as well. Like, we don't expect the Ravens, to, you know, we don't expect Lamar Jackson to throw for 300 yards in a football game. We expect Joe Burrow to do that. And that's why this game is going to be so fascinating because they are two different styles. The defense for 
the the Ravens is more of a, a a dominate you type defense where you know the the Bengals defense is more of a bend don't break and you know we can kind of mitigate damage where the two offenses like I said are two entirely different as well so I think this is going to be a, a real fascinating matchup going forward um do you have a prediction for tonight because I'm really struggling with trying to figure out which of these teams is going to win this is as close to a toss-up as I can find, especially because both teams are coming off of massive losses last week. I'm so torn. Two close teams. So I, often I'll go tie goes to the home team, which would be the Ravens. But my other thought is, in a close game, tie goes to the team who's more desperate. And that, to me, is the Bengals. You mentioned it. They're in last in the division at 5-4. and four, But also, it's only within a game. The Ravens are first at 73 the other teams, Steelers and Browns, both have three losses, so it's close. But it's going to come down to a tiebreaker in division. Ravens 2-2, two and two, Steelers 2-2, two and two, Browns 2-2, two and two, Bengals 0-2, oh 1-4 and and in the conference. They go to 0-3, 1-5 in the conference. It, it, you're tough to find a tiebreaker scenario. I say all that to say, oh, I have no idea. I, I think Ravens. <laughs> I, you do all that, and you're like, oh, man. Uh, yeah, no, I, I guess I'm just going to go with the home team. I, I'm going with the home team as well. Uh, I'm taking the Ravens in this one. Uh, best bets for tonight. Donovan, I'm going with two rushing bets, and they're both from the same team. Okay. Keaton Mitchell, over 37 and a half rushing yards. I feel like, you know, Jeff Zubek said they're going to get him involved in the offense a little bit more. And Lamar Jackson, over 45 and a half rushing yards. Uh, he's done that in seven of nine games against the Bengals. Jeff Zubek said runs the ball really well against those Bengals. It should be a fun one tonight. Thank you very much for joining us on the Fan Checkdown. Like this podcast. Give us five stars. Give us a review. All that great stuff. Uh, we greatly appreciate it. Thanks to Lance behind the glass, Donovan across the table. We will be back tomorrow recapping tonight's game and looking ahead to what should be another fun weekend of NFL football. Matt Marchese signing off on the Fan Checkdown on the Sportsnet Radio Network. We'll talk to you tomorrow.